got my career at Syracuse University. I met my wife at Syracuse University. My daughter graduated from Syracuse University. I mean, everything that I've had that's been good in my life is directly related to Syracuse University. Ed Levine's passion for Syracuse University may be eclipsed only by his passion for radio. Ed is the president and CEO of Central New York-based Galaxy Media, a group of radio stations now celebrating its 30th anniversary, and he's our guest for this CUSE conversation. Hi, glad you found us. I'm Chris Bellardi, Director of Digital Engagement and Communications in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. The CUSE Conversations podcast is another way for us to share stories about our amazing Orange family. If this is your first time listening, we hope you'll check out some of our past episodes. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts, and of course, subscribe. Now, you've probably read the stories about radio's great demise, and there are plenty of reasons that's happening on some levels. But Ed Levine is writing a different radio story right here in Syracuse, adapting to new technology, committing to his community, and approaching the industry with the same confidence or arrogance. It is a fine line, as he explains. But he's using that same confidence he used to, in his words, talk his way into Newhouse. It started on the top floor of Newhouse 2 in 1974. It really started when I went in to do my first tour of SU. And at that time, Newhouse 2 was brand new. It right. had just opened. And I'm looking in and everything was shiny and new. And I'm like, oh my, I don't, where am I? I'm in Oz. And from that moment on, I decided that A, I wanted to come to Newhouse, B, I wanted to work at that radio station, and C, I knew what I wanted to do with my career. And uh, it, it's worked out pretty well. It's it's interesting how many alumni who have gone through some program at Newhouse have a similar story about showing up and saying, oh man, this is like, I'm, a, I'm an 18-year-old kid. Yeah. And, and this is heaven. Everything is right here for me. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was just so cool. I came back up over the summer that year, the year between my senior year in high school and freshman in college. And um, I did it just to hang out at the radio station. So when I came back in the fall, I'd have an advantage over, over everybody else. And at the time, a, a couple of the guys who were at the radio station, you know, skeleton staff in the summer sure. would say to me, well, what are you doing here? And I made up a story that I had relatives in Syracuse because I was afraid if I told them I came up to hang out with them, they didn't have the word <laughs> stalker back then, but <laughs> I think I would have fit the description. But you know what? Isn't that so much of a of a radio and, and to some degree a TV thing? But I mean, that's what it's all about. It's about making opportunities. It's about meeting people. It's about being in the right place um, at the right time, maybe in a way that's slightly artificial. You put yourself in that right place because you just don't leave. You just kind of hang around until something opens up. You take advantage of every opportunity that there is. You know, somebody said showing up is half the game, yeah. and, and it definitely is. And if you're in the right place at the right time, but you've got to make the effort to be there. Right. And I think that's true in, certainly in my career and in, in life all the way around, um, but it's it's worked out. You grew up where? Uh, Westchester, Yonkers, New York. So not far. I mean, it was No, no, not at all. Four and a half hour drive. Okay. But yep. now Syracuse is home. Oh, yeah, of course. A lot of stops in between. Let's kind of go on a little journey um, that uh, that your career took you. So while you were at SU, mm -hmm. you spent uh, a great deal of time at WAER. It, the stalker part went away. You were actually legitimately <laughs> there for, yeah. for good reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, by the uh, my senior year, in fact, when I came for my interview at SU at Newhouse, my, uh, my grades were uh, men's and men's in high school. Mm -hmm. You know, my English and social studies very, very strong. My math, my science, not so good. So the uh, fellow that was interviewing me at the time, 
is looking at my grades and he said, uh, you know, son, you don't really have the grades for Newhouse. I heard him, but I kept talking. <laughs> and some people have said I haven't stopped 40 years later. But um, so I basically talked my way into Newhouse because I said to him, if you let me in this school, I, I will become very active. And at the time, I thought I might still want to be a writer. I said, I'll either be the, uh, and this is 17-year-old me, not even 18-year-old. Yeah. Uh, I'll either be the editor-in-chief of the DO, the Daily Orange, or the program director of WAER. In my senior year, I was the program director of WAER. That's pretty good. Uh, you know, it was a pretty... You, you didn't go back and tell that guy, I told you so. No, no, no. no. I, I was a pretty ballsy... <laughs> I mean, I was pretty ballsy at 17 years old to say. I didn't lack confidence. Well, and that's another important thing in this business. I mean, you know, what? no matter what part of, of, of media you're in, confidence, you have to have that. Yeah, there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. And, and unfortunately, a lot of folks along the way, be, you know, are, are pretty arrogant. And I, I guess I was arrogant for a 17-year-old, but you've got to believe in yourself because so many things are going to knock you down and so many people are going to knock you down that if you don't have a core fundamental belief in your own ability, you're just going to say, yeah, I'm really not that good. Well, and a big part of that confidence-arrogance uh, divide is is being able to back it up. Yeah. Right? I mean, being able to walk the walk, talk the talk, and then walk the walk, too. As one of my heroes, uh, Broadway Joe Namath, said, if you can back it up, it ain't bragging. That's <laughs> kind of how it works out, right? Yeah, yeah. So after you graduated from Syracuse University, what came next? Uh, well, I didn't leave Syracuse. We um, The radio uh, market at the time in Syracuse was a, a vast wasteland. FM radio, which was big, certainly in New York, where I grew up in, in most big cities, was was uh, there was really nothing going on here. Yeah. So we kept saying, myself and uh, two other uh fellows from Newhouse, Craig Fox and Ted Utz, said, God, we really need an FM rock station in Syracuse. So Craig was a brilliant engineer um, and found a new frequency that we could apply for, that he and, and Ted applied for. And I think they applied for it in 1975. And it was granted in early 1978. And we put the station on the air in August of 1978. Mm. And, it, you know, so was that 40 years, 42 years later? Um, it's 95X and it's still around today. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And, and that entrepreneurial spirit is is uh, pretty important as well if, if you're talking about that idea of building something like that. Well, we, we were really, now I will say we were arrogant. We were really arrogant, <laughs> 22 and 23-year-olds. And we looked at it the- only, It only got worse uh, no, <laughs> after the new house we, part of no, things. No, it did. Because we looked at the market here as, as if these guys were like dinosaurs. Okay. Yeah. They were from a you know another era and we were going to come in and show them how to do it. And on the <laughs> product side, we we really kind of did. Um, on the money side, I'm not sure it worked out so well because we we weren't doing it for the money. Right. We were doing it for the love of the art. Um, and you know, we had some grown ups in there too. Some people that were really old. They were like in their 30s, <laughs> and they and they were you know helping us manage the thing too. Um, but you know, the station got got to be very successful very very fast. Um, and it was, it was an unbelievable experience. I was approached and said, listen, if you want to be an owner, um, you need, I need $10,000 from you and $10,000 to me at that time could have been $10 million. Sure. My father was the only poor Jewish dentist I've ever heard of. I grew up in a four and a half room <laughs> apartment, not four and a half bedrooms, four and a half room apartment in Yonkers. So that was out of the question to me. So, um, but I was happy with the job because I was making good money. Then I was making 180 bucks a week. And, you know, what right. more, you know, back then that was, and my, my girlfriend who became my wife was making $200 a week. So between us, we were living large. 
You know, <laughs> so, right. so I, I, I stayed at 95X and I, and I was never an owner, but I stayed, every, you know, I was so into it, everybody thought, assumed I was an owner. But what I saw there, and, and I give you know, Craig credit for this, is I saw that being an owner was not a crazy dream. It could happen. Right. Um, and that, that kind of, that lit the fire to me to one day to run my own place. What happened in between? What happened after 95X in Syracuse for you? Well, when I realized I wasn't going to be an owner there, I said, well, geez, if I'm going to be an employee, I can make some more money and go somewhere else. I'd become pretty well known by then. So I went to Albany and, and ran a um, big outfit there for Merv Griffin. Now, that's not a not that much of a bigger market, but it was a much bigger operation. Yep. And then I was recruited from Albany to Houston, which is a top 10 market for a big rock station at the time there, uh, KLOL. And then from Houston, we had a lot of success quickly. And within a year, I was recruited to Washington for Infinity Broadcasting in WJFK. And it was in that time period that I put our first station on the air in Utica in 1990. So you were working full-time, regular gig in Washington, D.C., big station, big market. Yeah, big money, uh, six-figure, stock options, the whole deal. And about 18 months into it, um, you know, we were kind of floundering financially up in Utica. Uh, my business partner at the time, a fellow named Bob Raid, called me, and he was a terrific guy, called me and said, hey, listen, um, I love this whole thing. It's working out pretty well, but honestly, without you here full time, uh, let's just sell it. We could make, we would have made a little bit of money, yep. and you know, you go on and with your, your career. And that, that was a, a turning point because any normal human being at that point would have said, <laughs> okay, I got it. I said, well, what about if I quit my job? And he was like, well, what? You would quit your job. So I went into um, the office of uh, the general manager, and I quit. And uh, I had, but there wasn't enough money to pay me. So I had to figure out a way to, to live. So I was able to get my old uh, gig back in Albany. The station, unfortunately for them, had floundered afterwards. And I was able to come back as a consultant. So I would fly up Monday morning to Albany, run that station for two and a half days, go to Utica for a day and a half, fix what was a dumpster fire at the time then, <laughs> and and then fly back to Albany on, uh, I'll fly, drive back to Albany, fly back to D.C. on Friday night. I did that for three years. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, that's the passion part, right? I mean, there's got to, you're not, this is not something you're doing for money. This is something you're doing because it's just this driving passion to to build something. When I look back on it, it, it was pretty crazy. But when you're in the middle of it, it's like, you know, my, my wife and I were talking recently about it, you know, because she's been there every step of the way. And she said to me, and it, it, it hurt me a little bit when she said it. She said, if I knew how hard it was going to be then, I wouldn't have agreed to do it. <laughs> and she's probably right. And I don't know that I would have too, because we, you know, second mortgages and lines. Are, I, mean, I was making payroll with, you know, credit lines at 19% back in the day. Um, you know, so when you go through that kind of uh, fire, it hardens you. Um, not, you know, what I say now is nothing, nothing will scare me. Nothing will frighten <laughs> me after that. A bad day now is better than a fantasy day back then. <laughs> right. Perspective. Yes. It's amazing what perspective can do. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, so you quit in D.C. You did the Albany, Utica thing. Yeah, for uh, three years. While still living. I mean, still. Oh, living have, in D.C. Right, living in D.C. Oh, and by the way, we had an 18-month-old daughter at the time. Aha. Uh-huh. And my wife, wife was not working. So, it's challenging. Yeah, no, it was challenging. I mean, we signed our first station on the air February 1990. I took my first paycheck January 1994. Wow. I had first Infinity Broadcasting and then Merv Griffin Radio subsidized my radio habit for almost four years. 
it's uh it's amazing what radio does when it gets into the the heart mind body and soul isn't well, it <laughs> I, I think it's media in general I, I think it's anything that you have a passion for I, I mean i i could not imagine over the last 40 years going to a job and just have it be a job you know um and i i actually had that at the last uh i want to say two or three months i was in dc i i, I did not like my job yep. and it was the only time in my entire career when i'd get on the fairfax county parkway and I'd be like, oh, I gotta do this again, you know. And I know people. I have a lot of respect for people that go twenty years to a job that they really don't like. Yeah, um, that is not my DNA. I could never do that. And you know, I know it's a cliche, but if you find something that you love to do, you really are never working a day in your life. And here we are in in twenty twenty celebrating a huge milestone for your company. Yeah, this month we are celebrating our 30th anniversary as a company. Um, the The company is completely different, thankfully, than it was <laughs> back then. Um, and the industry, y- you could not have predicted the type of change that has happened in the industry. But somehow we have managed to uh, swim amongst the waters and the sharks in the waters and the, and the giant boulders in the waters and um, are not only surviving, but really doing you know, in, in almost every respect better than we ever have. Along the way, I mean, every experience, I, I'm sure, leads to to where, where you are. Um, but the, the station in Utica, was that kind of the, the seeds, the sprouts? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I have a very vivid memory. We signed the thing on the air, and then I went to a, a Friendly's to have lunch. And as I walked into the restaurant, you know, I almost wanted to announce I own a radio station, you know, and I was looking around at the people wondering if they would listen to my radio station. Once I became an owner, I became a much less effective employee because when you have that taste of, of running your in, uh, owning anything, whether it's a hardware store or car wash or any, when it's yours, yep. uh, it, it is a completely different feeling. Yeah. And and here we are today, where you know we see what's happening with with radio. It's happening with with all media, with TV as well. Sure. But and and the idea of kind of what media was built on, which is local audiences, um, community impact, is is taking a hit. I mean, I think that might be mild, well, putting it mildly, it's, but it's taken a tremendous PR hit, um, specifically in the last you know thirty days or so, with some of the uh, layoffs going on at, at one of our competitors, iHeartMedia. Not that I want to mention them, but um, <laughs> but in general, media look, media has been disrupted. There's there's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, but if you are smart and strategic, there is a way to navigate the waters. Unfortunately, what happened is so many of these companies, and I was guilty of it at one point too, bought a bunch of stations um, at prices that were, in retrospect, not sustainable, mm. and wound up with all this debt um, and have no choice now but to just you know, it's either lay people off or go bankrupt. In the case of a couple of them, they've done both. They go bankrupt, they come out of bankruptcy, and then they lay people off. So because while this is going on, while this uh, aggregation of stations went on when the FCC changed the rules in 1996, and we won't get into that now, but when that all happened, a technological revolution was happening at the same time this little thing called the internet mm, I've heard and, of it. and everything that has sprung up around it. So you've got radio not paying attention to what's going on. All these guys are talking about is let's merge, let's buy this guy. You know, we're going to just become the biggest thing in the world. While over here on the corner, there was, there were these little companies called Amazon and <laughs> Apple and Google and Facebook 
<laughs> and nobody was paying attention. And most of those guys that were there in 1995 and six and seven and eight, when investment could have been made to become the first streaming, we could have been streaming before there was any streaming. Yeah. We, ha we, had, we had the land. They were too busy thinking about how much money they were going to make when they bought and sold other stations. So um, it, it was a lost and missed opportunity. Um, when the historians write that era of uh, disruption in the media, they'll talk about it. But, you know, and, and we were guilty of it too. We, we took on a, a bunch of debt. Um, at, at one point, at the highest point of the company, our debt, our bank debt was $20 million, mm. which, you know, to a, you know, a company like iHeart is nothing. To a national company. Yeah, to a national company, it was nothing. To me, it was a lot. Sure. You know, um, now it's at the end of this year to be under three, you know, so that, but we were fortunate to be able to do that. A lot of these companies had to, had to make, you know, had to go chapter 11 and, and, and get out of it that way too. So it was a, it was a combat, it was a confluence of technology evolving and the industry not paying attention to what was going on while it was happening. So it became, it became a car crash. Right. And te technology is important. I mean, we, we have to embrace the technology. Sure. Um, I, I've got a, a teenage daughter, I, I and I and, and a son who's twelve, and I see their media consumption habits, and it's all through technology. How do you break through that noise or reach them where they are when you've got when you are competing with those national well, brands? I think you have to look at what you do well and stay in your lane and say, how can I maximize it? For for instance, what we looked at, we said, okay, podcasting is a thing. All right. Yep. And, and we certainly have our folks do a lot of podcasting, but I can't go and say, I'm going to get a hundred thousand downloads of my new podcast. There just aren't that many people in Syracuse. We have very good brands in Syracuse and Utica. We are not national brands. So we, we know who we are and who we aren't. So we looked at it and said, what can we do with technology that would really be effective? And we're lucky enough to be the flagship and, and partner of Syracuse University Athletics. So I was walking in L.A. on the beach over the summer, um, and I had a, my SU gear on, and I had people, you know, I had half a dozen people stop me or, you know, give me a thumbs up or something. <laughs> Skews! Happened to Skews! me. Happened to me this week in L.A., actually. There's the same not, thing. There's not a city in the country I go to where <laughs> if I'm wearing Q's, though. When I was flying back home, I said, you know what? It really is a national and international brand. Yep. All right. How, how do they spread that brand through technology? So I went and um, had an appointment with John Wildhack, who's a great partner and a good friend, uh, the SU Athletic Director. And a fellow alum. And uh, he started a little operation, was one of the uh, opening, one of the first employees of a little operation in Bristol called ESPN. Heard of that so, one. So John, is, yep. John has been around. And I said, John, I have this stupid idea I want to run by. It's a little crazy. So I talked to him about what about if during SU uh, games and at other times, people could go to a channel on a platform and, and watch a network talk SU sports 24 hours a day, 24 seven. Um, and about halfway through it, he stopped me and said, this is not a stupid idea. So we created this platform on the Twitch platform, which is initially was a gaming platform right. that I don't quite understand people watching other people play games. I have a 12 year old boy. I understand it. Cause that's what he does. But it's a thing. Yeah, it is. So I said, if they want to watch other people play games, what about watching other people watch games and watch them talk about sports and participate at the same time. So we had ESPN on in Syracuse where we do live and local SU programming during season, eight hours a day, every day, yep. five days a week, and a lot on the weekends too. So we stuck cameras in all the studios and um, said, let's give it a ride. And uh, last night, for instance, 
during that uh, very disappointing Louisville game, we had in our studio uh, here in, in Syracuse, we had Lawrence Bolton. Um, we had Lawrence, Rosie Bowie, and Eric Devendorf on. And it was uncensored. A local host, Nico Tamarian, hosted yep. the thing. And there were things that were said during that game that I was like, oh, my God. I can't believe they <laughs> said. But it was hot takes, raw takes. Right. And the idea is that if, wherever you are in Syria, wherever you are in the world, if you're listening right now in Dallas, Miami, New York City, okay, you can go to this channel 24-7 and catch up on what's going on back in the hometown. Yeah. It's free, but if you want to subscribe and get benefits that only subscribers get, it's just four ninety nine a month. If you have an Amazon Prime subscription, it's free to you. Right. And and, and Syracuse, as, as you point out, there are fans, there are alumni Everywhere, all over, all so over. So it, it doesn't really matter. That that's kind of taking that local idea and and reaching people where they are and, and making them feel local, right? Absolutely. And the one brand that we are associated with that is a true national international brand is Syracuse University. Right. You know, and I I I just envision it one day during the season being twenty four seven live and local. Right now we're doing eight hours a day, five days a week, but we'll expand that next year. Um, and I, I just think I'm, I'm very excited about it because I think it can broaden out more than just sports, too. Um, yeah. I think there could be all kinds of special alumni outreach things that we can do on our channel, too. So I encourage everybody, check it out. It's Q Sports Talk. Um, it's on the Twitch platform, um, Twitch TV. It's not uh, just Fortnite anymore on Twitch. No, 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 no. There And, yeah, and, and it, it's uh, it's 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 it's. It's just something we're really proud of and really cool. One of the really cool things, you know, from an alumni engagement perspective is the is the idea that, you know, you, you mentioned Devendorf and Moten mm-hmm. and Bowie. And we're, this is kind of three different eras of yeah. Syracuse basketball, Syracuse alumni, which is kind of a cool aspect of this. I know you've had Tyler Lydon on sure. in the past. It, the idea that you can reach out to some of these alumni who are recognizable and still have a very special place in the hearts of, of fans. One thing I will tell you is once you're orange, you're always orange. And in fact, last night, the guys, um, a lot of the guys, they go on a text during all the games. I wasn't, I didn't know this. I hope Coach Beham's not listening um, because they have a text about it. And, and uh, Moten, Lawrence, was getting texts during the game from like D.C., from Derek Coleman. Yep. All right. And he would read, he would read the texts from D and I've gotten texts from DC too. And you, they're not always stuff you can read on, on the air. Um, and he's reading them on the air and I'm, and, and I'm like, going, Oh my God. <laughs> you know? But I mean, it was, it was raw. It was uncensored. Right. It was passionate. Um, these guys don't get sad when SU loses a game. They get pissed. Yeah. <laughs> and man, they were pissed last night, but it, it was very, it was very entertaining television. I mean, towards the end of the game, I I, tur- I really kind of muted the sound on the TV, and I was I'm watching these guys because they're just going off, right? You know, um, but that's the passion that you know. Whether it, you're talking to uh, great ex Newhouse people, whether it's you know Bob Costas or Mike Tarico or great ex athletes, you never leave Syracuse. You may leave it physically, right? Uh, you know, unless you're crazy like me and you stay here, you know, dig out snow for forty years. Yeah, you come um, back. <laughs> you come, but you're always connected to it, and and that's one of the things where excited about with this new this new um, business is it, it's going to keep SU alums in touch all the time. I, you know, I, I think this is a, a good place maybe to leave it, but, but I want to expand on that just a little bit yeah. uh, as we do. And, and that idea, it's something that we talk about a lot. We talk about kind of the Orange Network, the Orange family. Um, you know, certainly New House has a very strong contingent of people who are in the business. And, you know, 
you can't work in the business without working alongside no, somebody else who went to Syracuse. It is it is truly a mafia, um, <laughs> and it, it, you know I don't I don't know that we have a secret handshake, but it's when I deal with somebody that went to SU, and or specifically somebody that came via Newhouse, I will tell you I absolutely look at that differently. Yeah, you know um, I just do. I mean they're going to have every advantage, and back when I was there, you know uh, left in seventy eight. There was really no, it was an informal network, but there was no really, you know, outreach to helping uh, guys and ladies get jobs. Now it's unbelievable yeah. what goes on. And uh, you you will find more and more as it develops even more that the, the tentacles are just unbelievable. It's And it's every aspect of, of the business which continues to adapt and evolve and change. And, and there are people who are connected to some part of that. Well, and whether, you know, when they come back for a homecoming and, and, you know, we we go up there, my wife and I go up there, whether they're 25 years old or 75 years old, it's it's that still that passion because, you know, I, I, I look, I look at my own life. I got my career at Syracuse University. I met my wife at Syracuse University. My daughter graduated from Syracuse University. I mean, everything that I've had that's been good in my life is directly related to Syracuse University. And I think a lot of other people feel the same way. Question that I always like to ask, and, and we'll end with this question, is for you, and we talk about, you know, you go to the airport and you see the be orange sign. What does it mean to you to be orange? I, I think it's a sense of pride of place. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's uh, how, do I, how do I describe it? it it's, it's who I am. I mean, it, it's, at, it's my essence and my core. If you strip away everything else, it is... You know, next to my family, it's been the most important thing in my life. Your family's also orange too, which well, is probably my family's helps, right? orange too. Some of them. Uh, we just my my daughter my daughter daughter married a, uh, a Duke alum. Uh-oh. Uh oh. So, but but I will say he's come over to the to the right side of okay, things. Good. And when he came to the game this year, he was very respectful, wore orange. His family are a Wolfpack members of NC State. And I had them up last week, and they all were great. They wore orange. So when they, <laughs> the agreement we have is they root for Syracuse unless they're playing their particular team, and and I think that's fair. That does seem fair. Yes. All right, Ed. This has been fun. Thank you, Chris. Thank thanks. You. Thanks so much. If you couldn't tell, Ed Levine is excited, optimistic, even about the future of the industry. He knows it's changing, but he's ready to change with it, offering his audiences different ways to do more than just listen. To be kind of a part of an interactive experience. He has big plans for the Cuse Sports Talk channel on Twitch, which Galaxy is kind of beta testing right now as a companion platform to the local ESPN radio station. We appreciate you listening to the Cuse Conversations podcast. If you want to make this more of an interactive experience, give us a comment, suggest a future guest or a topic. Hit us up at SU Alums on Twitter or reach out to me directly at C. Velarde. Help us build our audience by sharing, subscribing, and giving us a good review. The Cuse Conversations podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and as they say, everywhere you can find your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening, and go Orange! Go Orange!